The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gundog world. You will hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think it would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogityourself.com and complete the form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, and we're off. We have Michael Gill on the phone. Michael's coming from Oregon. How you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. How you doing? Hey, doing good, man. So you and I kind of connected on uh, Facebook. You started the Facebook community, uh, Urban Bird Dog Collective, right? That's correct, yeah. So we want to hear all about what on earth prompted you to start something like that. So let's take it back to how you got involved with bird dogs. Oh gosh, my parents got me an Irish setter when I was like in probably fifth grade. <laughs> they didn't have nice. any idea, really. Yeah, they didn't know what they were doing, though. You know, <laughs> and and a lot of people don't when that when their first bird dog. I mean, a, a lot of people start off with just, "Hey, I have a dog," and then you find out that you have a a desire and a passion to do this, so you just kind of make it work with the first one almost. Yeah, you try at least. <laughs> so they're like this young boy needs a dog let's get him something that well they're probably like that's a beautiful looking dog and then of course well, they, you, know, you get yeah. it it's, it's crazy probably right <laughs> well yeah and i don't know quite i don't know what it was with an irish set or where that ever came from but yeah that was an interesting project that didn't ever come to fruition <laughs> so so did he not hunt at all or was it just kind of rough going uh, he never hunted at all. My parents didn't hunt. They never taught me to hunt. And, um, you know, they, they didn't even teach me to teach the dog obedience. I, just, I don't <laughs> think they really knew what to expect. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, here's your dog. Was it, were you asking for a dog for a long time? I mean, you know, were you like, uh, Ralphie always wanting that red rider, <laughs> you know, or, or was it a total surprise? I, 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 
I have a feeling I was a little too wound up and hyper. And they were like, if we get him a dog, it'll keep him busy. <laughs> so, so like, but why the hunting dog? Did you express any interest in, hey, I want to get into hunting? You said your folks didn't, uh, didn't hunt, but, you know, how did they know that let's try a hunting dog? You know, no, I don't know why it was a hunting dog. The only thing my mom ever said is that when she was a little girl, they had a red dog and my grandfather was an avid fly fisherman. And so he would set her on the bank next to the river. And if she would get up and go next to the river, that red dog would grab her by the diaper and pull her back. (laughs) (laughs) But a red dog, that could be anything from your Irish setter to even red bone coon hounds. Right, exactly. So I don't know. I doubt it was Irish Setter, though. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, nice. I guess you were probably a little too old to be wearing diapers by then. So um, how'd you go from Irish Setters to now you're running Poodle Pointers? How did that end up happening? Oh, that's a story on itself. (laughs) Let's hear it. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I, since that Irish setter as a kid, which didn't turn out, the dog was crazy. It had a one acre yard to run around in. And in fact is one day we came home, it got the clothes off our clothesline, had my mom's bra around its neck. <laughs> oh, man. So, not guilty. Yeah, I swear yeah, it wasn't mom, me. No, right. Mom was not too happy. Uh, that dog ended up, we had to, it killed a few chickens and we had to find a ranch for it to live on. Mm. So since then I, uh, yeah, bought, I had an Irish setter. That was a sad situation. The The mother that she came from nursed until she died because the, the owners of the dog had uh, divorced and pretty much had not communicated and somehow the dogs were abandoned. So the mother nursed until she died and we ended up with, and we thought it was an Irish setter. And we think it turned out it was actually a red setter. And she was a very sweet dog, but we had her, while I was raising kids and we didn't, I didn't have the knowledge or the time or probably not the finances at the time to, to do with what that dog needed. So, so uh, even after the first Irish setter growing up, you tried your hand at getting another setter later on in life when you're an adult and, and that didn't play out well for you again. I'm a hard learner, man. My my dad said we learn by our mistakes. <laughs> I'm going to be real smart by the time I die. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Adam was saying, now you're into poodle pointers. So, like the the yeah. second setter didn't work out, and and uh, you ended up in the poodle pointer wor- world. Did you just this time around? You're like, okay, I'm doing this right, and and you just started looking into it and and settled on the poodle pointer. Well, yeah, I wanted to do it right. And, uh, my kids, they all grew up and they were pretty much, well, they were out of the house. They weren't pretty much, they were just out of the house and, and it lends a lot more time and, and finances to do what you need to do right for a, for a dog. So I started a friend of mine, I hooked up with started taking me duck hunting and right, but let me back up a little bit right before that, um, my wife and I, we went to a pheasant hunting seminar with ODFW. That's Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. Mm-hmm. They have a place down in central, kind of central west Oregon. That's an old military base. And, and it's a, they have a release, a pheasant release program there, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, they were putting on a seminar that they advertised and I caught wind of. So I took my wife to it and 
they bring volunteers out there, which are actually from NAFTA with their dogs. And you end up shooting over after you go through a four hour seminar in the morning. So that was, that was really cool. And my wife was excited about it. Of course, I'm all jacked about it because I'm all about chasing birds anyway. For sure. And yeah, yeah. And so, and then, and then I met up with a friend of mine about a year later and, uh, he took, started taking me duck hunting. I knew that he, I was looking for somebody that could show me the ropes because it's intimidating yeah. in uh, public ground. It's a, it's a chip draw here on Savi's Island and you got to go, you know, sit in line, wait for them to bring you chips. You draw a chip and set your order in line and all this. So he met, starts mentoring me duck hunting and I see his dog Dory, who's a Labrador. It's a phenomenal Labrador. This dog works ducks like amazing. Cause you know, that's what retrievers do, right? Sure. Absolutely. And yeah, it started really turning me on to dogs, watching her work and then watching those, those other dogs that were from NAFTA work. I didn't even know those were NAFTA dogs. And when we went to that pheasant seminar, right. So it started, everything started clicking in my head and I'm like, you know, I really want a dog that I can train to do this all the way through, you know? Yeah. And so I, I'm, I start listening to podcasts and stuff and I, I hear, uh, Ron Bain's podcast, the hunting dog podcast. Oh yeah. And yeah. And so, uh, Bob Ferris comes on there that, uh, Ron did a, a podcast with, and I listened to that and I was, I'd been researching different breeds and stuff anyway. And I was like, wow, that dog really fits what I'm looking for. You know, with, with, and Bob really focuses on genetics and, and outbreeding and how far out he can measure how far out the outbreeding is or how close inbreeding is. And that's really important to me. And then the proven, uh, um, testing system that they use to test their dogs where I can go through their pedigree and look and see what they're sires and dams have tested at. And so that's what really, you know, it just really sparked my interest and supposedly they shed less. Yes, they do shed less. I'm not going to say that they're perfectly hyperallergenic because no dog really is, but exactly. it doesn't exist. Myth busted. <laughs> no, it doesn't exist, but I'll tell you, this dog is everything Bob said it was going to be. He didn't lie one bit. That's what counts right there is, is right. It's uh you hate to say it, but it's, t- if it's tough to find a breeder that's going to give you what they say they're giving you. I mean, they're out there. There's plenty of them out there, but uh, you got to sort through all the crap, you know, I, I find that's it right. really that's interesting right. that, that old Ronnie got you really stoking the flames and, and figuring out the plans and everything. Obviously you, you searched up the podcast and found it because you know, you, you went to, to the pheasant shoot and everything and you're kind of, that passion was already growing. You, you wanted to look into it and then you heard Bob on the episode and I remember that episode vividly and it was a great episode. And so you heard the podcast and did you just immediately reach out to Bob? Walk us through that. Like, how did you reach out to him and, and, uh, pick out the litter and, and pup that you're getting? Yeah, so that's an interesting pop. That's that's an interesting um, question to ask because if you listen closely to the podcast, he says that 
um, you have to keep in touch with him, right? You need to keep in touch with him after you're on a list. So I reached out to him by email and I get a response a few days later that says, yeah, I'm not really, I'm trying to phase out of breeding as much. Um, here's some, a list of good breeders that are great breeders that are in the, the Napa list. And so, um, let's see, that's the North American Pointer Society right? that, that controls, you know, the breeding. If you guys are familiar with that, of the poodle pointers. And so he gives me a list of really good breeders on there that I could reach out to and talk to. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, so I responded back. I'm like, uh, huh? Well, Bob, I, I understand you're phasing out, but I know that, uh, you are the man in this and, and, and <laughs> you're a legend. And I got to have one of your dogs. I have to have one of your dogs before you're out and I'm willing to wait as long as it takes. Nice. And I just kind of pushed back, you know, yeah. so I was, I, I, I had mindset, you know? Nope. Yep. And so I just, uh, I kept emailing him and I think about the, when I responded back, I really laid out what my plan was with the dog that I, I'm, I've been listening and I've been paying attention to what the, was required of the poodle pointers and what the breeders would like with NAFTA and the testing system and all that. And I was interested in that. And that I've planned out, this is my living situation. This is what I have for the dog. And this is what my plan is for the dog. And he, he emailed back one day and he says, uh, you might as well give me your, all your contact information. And that's all he <laughs> said. So I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of like, hey, hey, Bob, does that mean I'm on your list? And I actually emailed back and I said that. And he says, Yes, you're on my list. <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, leave me right. But here's here's the thing is every week, every Sunday, I would email him because he said, you have to stay on my list. You have, you have, to, you have to stay in contact with me to stay on my list because yep. if you don't, it shows that you don't have enough interest and I'm not going to sell you the dog. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like it's all kind of a, a test to see how serious you really it, are. It's a long, drawn-out job application. and Yeah, and <laughs> yeah it's part of the vetting process, I believe. Oh, that that's great. That really shows that, you know, obviously he cares about his line and who gets his dogs and, and really picky about who gets his dogs. And that, you know, kind of falls in line with with uh, the information that he put out on the podcast that if you really want this, you need to prove it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that, you know, that's even better. Just like you said. Yep. So, so you finally uh, bugged him enough and kicked him enough to get a pup. So you finally get your pup and walk us through it. Cause this is the first time that you, you're, you're trying to do it right. You know, you, you had the first two setters that didn't go to plan, Walk us through that experience of getting a well-bred dog and bringing them home with every intention of doing it the right way. Yeah, that's that's interesting, right there. Yeah, I told my I told my wife, yeah, I'm on the list. It's going to be you know a year, a year and a half, you know. And so uh, he's all cool, whatever. And I keep contacting Bob, and and I get an email in July, so he was. Ruger was born on July 23rd, I believe it is. And so I get an email in July that says, the pups have dropped, the mother dropped 
12 puppies, you're, you're up and your puppy will be ready in September. And I'm like, Oh, I have to tell my wife that I told was going to be next year or a year and a half that we're going to pick this dog up in September. It's been cut by about a year, a year and a couple of months, you know, yeah, really bumped us up on the list fast. And so it put us getting a puppy in September. You're going to be raising a puppy through the winter. And I already knew that wasn't the best scenario, but I was going to have that dog. Absolutely. So, yeah, I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I want to mess with Bob. I don't want to tell Bob, hey, I'm going to wait till the next litter because I want a puppy. Well, that can create a little bit of heat with the wife, but we got through it. <laughs> so, so you finally get the puppy home. Walk us through the steps of, you know, doing it the right way, quote unquote, and, and really caring, caring about, you know, training your dog and, and getting that hunting dog that you were dreaming of. Yeah. Okay. Full disclosure. I'm not a professional. <laughs> None of us are. So, yeah. Me either, man. Yeah. <laughs> Far from yeah. it. So, you know, we get the, we, we drive to Idaho. That was a cool drive. That was just, it was really cool drive to go pick up the pub, come home with that pub for a nice six hour drive on your lap and really start, start the bonding process. There, you know, there's a lot of guys that'll pick their puppy out to be professionally trained and I'm not knocking that. But I've seen the bonding now, so we'll go back. So we get the puppy home, and I just, I mean, everything fun, really fun for the six months. We did, I would leave them on a check cord, and I live in an area where I am right on the verge of a, of a city, right on the edge of the city, which backs into agriculture area, which is just fields and stuff like that. Perfect, perfect for training dogs and yeah yeah so i i get the pup home and, and i would walk him through these fields behind our house undeveloped fields and uh just let him run and play and run on that check cord and then i would slowly start incorporating recall i would let him run out run out of ways and when the end of that 30 foot check cord would come close i would step on it yep. and i would say heel and I'd start pulling them back, slowly pull them back to me and get them right to my, I, I, I shoot on my left side because I'm a left-handed shooter, so I would heal them on my right side. Okay. I'd get them right, pull them back, and just keep doing that. Walk along, make it real fun, let them have a little fun, step on the check cord, stop them, heal, pull them back, pull them back. And, we, and then I would do like real light, um, in the, we would go in the hallway and we do light tossings with toys to the end of the hallway. Let yeah. him retrieve it. Bring it back. He keeps it in a controlled environment so he can't run off, you know? Yeah. Yep. And that, he did great there. And the, the feather on a string, we didn't do a lot of that. That's good. We did it a few times. <laughs> it's a contra- Yeah, it's a controversial issue. I don't want my dog to learn the sight point. Right. I want him to smell. And that's my theory on it. It's my take on it. So I didn't do a lot of that. No, I agree with you. The, it, the wing on a string is my theory on it is that it's a, it's a parlor trick. I mean, it is, I guess it has its it use is. to, to bring out, not to bring out, but to, to see if the dog has pointing instinct, but even then yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work. Uh, some dogs might charge mm-hmm. right in towards the wing. 
that's okay too. You know, I want the dog yeah. pointing on scent and not on sight. So I agree with you. Yeah. 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 And you know, the sight, the sight stuff, I think I've noticed that comes a lot later because I have waterfowled with him and, and mm-hmm. he does look in the sky and he sees the ducks flying. So, and then, and then, you know, as far as, um, gunshot and, and bringing, bringing him into gunshot that this is another controversial issue. And Bob sent you Oh, home. everything in dog yeah. training is controversial. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, anything yeah, you bring right. up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So Bob sends you home pretty much with an owner's manual. Of, this is what I expect you to do. And this is for these few weeks and then this week and then this week, the sixth week, the seventh week, and the twelfth week. We will go through this, right? That's great. Have a, a pretty much a, a, a basic owner's manual. And in there, he says... Uh, you're going to clang pots and pans over the dog or not over the dog, but you know, somewhere where the dog's going to hear it. What every time you feed it and uh, it's okay to shoot blanks away from the dog when you put the food down. So I did that. Yeah. This dog, when, when you, when you take a shot, he wants to see what it is, where it is and when's it coming, you know? Right. So I have no issue. It worked really good. And so that's what we did for the first six months. That's pretty much all we did. That's great. You know, you just kept it fun and light. And, you know, like you said, there, there's a couple, couple things that you did with the puppy that, you know, quote unquote controversial because, you know, it's a dog world. Everybody can't agree on how to do it, but you know, as long as it works each their own, uh, but you know, and so as long as it works, so you get through the six months and kind of the fun the fun stage puppy being a puppy and socializing and just learning its life and routine. And what, after six months, is that when you start, you know, exposure, bird exposure and, and stuff like that? Yeah. At six months, I started bringing in, um, live pigeons. Uh, and just like we would walk through a field and I would just let one fly away and I'd let him chase for a little bit. And we did that for, few times i don't want him chasing a lot forever right so we did that a few times that was his basic introduction to birds yeah that makes sense you know nick and i were just talking the other day about you let a dog chase or do you not let him chase and i think it depends on where you're at in your in your training and, and it, it depends on the dog i mean some oh, absolutely some, some dogs yeah. honestly need a little bit more drive while yeah. others the drive isn't the issue and so for those dogs that, that need a little bit more drive then chase works really well you can yeah. really amp up that drive yeah. but but you know if you have your uh, one of those high drive dogs chasing necessarily isn't required and so i think a lot of people are too quick to say one way or the other don't chase or do chase yeah it, it really depends on the dog and and what you need to do with that dog i agree and i think it's kind of more of a barometer of where's your puppy at and when i saw i didn't need to do it i stopped it right away because this dog has quite a bit of drive there you go yeah, it doesn't hurt to to let them chase a few. And I mean, in my opinion, that's the exact way to do it. Once you see that they have it and you go, all right, I don't need to build up the dog's drive anymore. Let's not chase any more birds. Let's work on something else. So at that yeah, let's, point, let's whoa the dog. Hey, there's a thought. So at that, uh, yeah. at that point, what'd you start working on? So at that point, 
I, I had built a woe table. Are you familiar with the woe table where it's got ramps on each end of like an eight, eight by two foot table? Yep. Yep. Yeah. We often refer to that so, as just the NAVDA table for, for the most part. Yeah. Right. Right. So we started working on that. Um, I would bring him up on the table. We would get halfway in with, uh, on, on a check cord and we would get like halfway across the table as I'm walking. Now, of course, let's start the basics. I don't want to get through all the basic fundamentals of using the woe table because there's so much in the process. But obviously, I've introduced him to the table first. Yeah. I've walked him across the table several times. Several times. He has no fear of the table. We're good with that. Now I've got him on a check cord still. And I bring him across the table. And when we get halfway through, I would jerk on the, jerk on the leash a little bit, give him that stimulation stop them in the middle and they woe and hold them there and praise him when he started to do it, when he would stop and stand there and start to do it, just praise him and give him love and give him that positive affirmation or, or no, I agree. Yeah. Affirmation. This is... There it is. That positive enforcement, you know, yeah, just yeah. Coach it back and tell him what a good boy, good boy, you know, and then we would we, we just kept progressing after that. We would we would get to where I would walk him across and we'd get to the end ramp and I would stop on that ramp, give him a little jerk on the collar with the leash and stop him right there. Whoa. And then we slowly progressed where because I do waterfowl, I do duck hunt that I want the whistle commands. So I would introduce I started introducing the whistle, a single on the whistle, whoa, toot, and whoa, I'm on the end of the ramp, and then different positions throughout the ramp, and and progress until we end up starting to use birds on the end of the ramp, where you would tether a bird on the end of the ramp, bring it into the into the scenario. He would, he would, I would bring him up onto the table, whoa him. Normally, he would just go on point up on the table because the birds just right. I would tether it right on the end, sure. and then my wife would come in and then start dancing the bird around, and then just praise him when he just sits there. And if he would bolt forward, give him a little tug on the neck, nice. and that was the foundation before I even put the e collar on him. Yeah, and that that's real similar to uh, how the Green Book breaks it down to to use the woe table and you know use a caged bird or a tethered bird on the table and everything so it's it's a method that's definitely been around there for a little while so were you doing all of this before the the na test because you you ran the na test in navda correct that is correct i did some light stuff before the nat before the na test which is you know Am, am I am I am I training the bird? Am I training the dog for the nap? The test was was kind of like a question in my head during that whole time, and I tried to avoid over training my dog before I got into the NHS. Sure, because it, it's it's natural ability, right? And so in my head, I'm thinking, don't overdo it because it's supposed to be natural. Exactly. Absolutely. We, you know, we preach that quite a bit here and yeah, it, it, you know, there, there's no sense in training your dog like on advanced steadiness to go do the NA test or anything. You want that true representation of the natural ability of the dog. And so how did, how did you end up doing on the NA test? 
So I got a one. Well, he got he got a one hundred one price too, but I think I got it because it's you know it's my fault. The dog surprised one. If I would have done better, he would have been a prize one. Well, what did it tell us? One of the mistakes was it just a handling error? Because I mean, sometimes it happens. Like you know, we, we've known people that have stepped on the dog's foot when they're doing the track or something, and it really messes them up. So was it something specific that you realized that? that you uh, kind of held the dog back a little bit, so to speak? Well, let's put it this way. I, I had already whistle trained him. Now, I, I told you that I was using, I started using the whistle on the low table. Yeah. Right. So I had already whistle trained him. I had never done this before. So when I got there and I ran the test, before I ran the test, the judge comes to me and he gives me the outline. He says, all right, this is, this is what you can do. You, you can't use any commands. And I knew this already. You can't, I mean, you can't use whoa. You can't whoa your dog. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Let's go run the test. So we, we run the test. And when in the field, he pointed several birds and he pushed a bird and it went across the field, flew across the field. He chased the bird all the way across the field and got to the end. Yep. So we waited there and it was, it was probably, I don't know, 300 feet out there or so. It was quite a ways out. I couldn't see him because he crested the hill. So we wait and we wait for a minute. And then the judge says, okay, call your dog back. River here. Wait a second. Wait a second. I don't want to give the second command, but right. River here. I waited quite a while, and when I gave that second command, he had just crested the hill, and I, I saw him right as I let the words out of my mouth. Ah, uh, okay. But he 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 dinged me on um, cooperation right yep. there. Yep. And I, you know, in retrospect, I look back, and it is what it is. He's right. Yeah, and, and you know that's. We tell people all the time, the more tests you run and in that environment, the the more experience you're going to get and be able yeah. to, you know, prepare yourself as the handler better for the next test down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, 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 here's the funny thing is after, and I ran, I was the second one to run that day. After that, the next person goes out there and I hear that person blowing their whistle, blowing their whistle blowing their whistle and I'm like, Oh, that's weird. I don't know. Whatever. The dog gets a prize one. And come to think about it, he didn't say I couldn't blow a whistle. He just said I couldn't use the woe command. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean if if I could have used the whistle because I had I had taught him to woe on a single tooth, I could have probably used the whistle and stopped the dog from chasing. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm definitely not a NAVDA judge and I mean, wasn't there either, but I know that sometimes they're looking at like, how long is the dog gone from you? You know, so when the dog's off mm -hmm. chasing the bird and if the dog doesn't just naturally check in after a few minutes, they might've already looked down yeah. at their scorecards and been like, yeah, well, one with a three here because the dog hasn't checked back in. And, and obedience, cooperation's different things. Cooperation's right. even just how they, they you know, 
cast in the field yeah. along with you. And so sure. the, there's a lot and more. And obedience is not on the scorecard for natural ability. Yeah. So the, there's a number no. of things that could have happened. And, you know, did you by chance talk to the NAVDA judge afterward to get the feedback on it? Because they always give that opportunity. I did. Okay. I did. I, I, I asked him and he said, well, what did your dog do? And I was like, oh, okay. So I thought about it and I said, well, he ran across the field and he chased the bird. And he said, well, what did he do when you called him back? And I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. I had to call him twice. You know? yeah. and, and I, I have no problem with the way he scored it. He was right. You sure. know, as I go along, I learn more and more about it. He was right. I want that dog to come back right now when I call it, not five minutes from now or a minute from now when he decides to do it, when I tell him to come back. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's not just that he was right. That judging team was right. All three of them were right. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. because if you're, if they're within, they're all usually going to be within a, a point of each other. So it's generally they're, yep. they're going to be on the same page. So after then a test, are you now working towards utility? Did that really, you know, the test bug bite you? Or are you going all the way through? I'm going all the way through. I'm doing utility. I'm set for the, uh, see, the weekend of September 27th, I think, of that Saturday. We're running utility, so we're getting ready for that. In fact, as we were out this morning. Oh, yeah? Well, that that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's a different testing environment altogether. You know, the NA test is one thing, and then the utility test is completely different. And so that'll be a whole new learning curve for you as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I should have started this about 30 years ago. <laughs> as far as hunting, do you have any big hunting plans coming up this fall? You know, uh, my biggest, my biggest goal is to get him through utility. It's a lot to get this dog through utility test. I mean, being a beginner or a novice, whatever you want to call me, it's a lot to go through. So I, I want, I want to get out to Eastern Oregon. we We've got Hell's Canyon out here, which is full of chucker. At least that's what they say. And I know it's hard. I know it's going to beat me up for an old man, but I got to do it before I get any older. <laughs> Absolutely. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Well, Oregon's like kind of a, a sleeper state from what I understand. I mean, you guys have a little bit of a little bit of a lot out there, right? We've got a lot here. There's a lot of public land and it doesn't take much like, I train at Sabi's Island, which is right outside of Portland. It's a, it's like a 30 minute drive from Portland, which is a major metropolitan area. And it's a, it's a waterfowl Mecca. It's it's duck hunting galore, you know, and to have that right there. And then, but if you go to the East side of the state, it is full of public land, full of Tucker, um, let's see, Tucker Huns, quail, mountain quail, grouse, Blue grouse, rough grouse, turkey, and of course a lot of your deer, elk, uh, and those other animals that we don't usually—I don't usually chase. Sure. <laughs> well, you got plenty of opportunity out there, and and yeah, yeah, Michael, we we definitely appreciate you coming on and and sharing your story, and and like Adam said, that y'all kind of just came across each other on Facebook. You started a, a Facebook group that really promotes just your everyday average handler getting into it and doing it in in an environment to where maybe they don't have access to to all the pro trainer facilities and and land and everything so you want to 
plug that group real quick for everybody? Yeah, so the Urban Bird Dog Collective is a Facebook group where we come together as, as a collaboration, and I'm not a pro, but we can all come together and share our ideas or our thoughts, or you could, you could post a video and you can get feedback on it. The sure. only thing is, is we, you know, some people feedback and advice is something that we have to really sort through carefully because there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. So just, if you come to my, if you come to my group, I, I don't, I'm not a professional. I need your help just as much as you need my help. We got to do, if we can do together, we can go a long way. Right. Absolutely. And to be, to be, to live, like I'm on the outskirts of a city, but some of these guys that have bird dogs and are trying to do this, they're inside of the city. They're, they're in a suburban area or they're in an area where there's a lot there's a lot you have to take in factor, like raising pigeons. Can can you just can you just go ahead and raise pigeons? Well, there's city codes. Some city codes say you can't you can't have any pigeons to raise, or you can't build a loft to have pigeons, or you can have pigeons, but your loft has to be 30 feet from your house. There's a lot of stuff that goes along with this bird dog stuff that's really intimidating, and if you don't do it. You don't don't look into how how you need to set up your stuff. You, you could end up in a, in a world of hurt. The one thing I can say is just get your pigeon loft as far away from your house as you can. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you figured it out the hard way, and that's that's really cool that you're wanting to share uh, your mistakes and your success with everyone else, and and kind of creating an environment for for others to do the same in your Facebook community. So. We appreciate that, man. We appreciate you coming on tonight. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, man. Well, you have a good night. We'll talk to you soon, Michael. You too, buddy. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself thanks again and happy hunting everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs b pro kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the usa from high grade lightweight aluminum they'll get you set up with the size dimensions lighting storage battery boxes with solar charging and anything else you can dream of stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.